Welcome back to Bible Time, Dead Men Walking Part 2, also known as The Walking Dead here, this lesson, The Walking Dead, what we're talking about today, Colossians 2.13. It says here, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, as he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So yesterday we dove into this and we went to the book of Genesis. Um, we talked about um, dead men walking in 2 Corinthians 5.14, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. I'd encourage you to pick that up if you haven't already. Get your Bible out. Get your notebook out. Take notes. Write down Bible references. Go back and read them for yourself. Look at the context. Compare scriptures with scriptures. Make sure you study up for yourself and don't just rely on men. No matter who is the one preaching or teaching, a man is just a man and God is God. And men make mistakes and you need to know the Bible for yourself so that you can discern between right and wrong. So that you can discern whenever people, even that you respect and love, make mistakes. You can say, oops, well that was just the man coming out of that man. And I'll just pitch that in the garbage and I'm going to stick with the Bible. And that's what you ought to do for everybody and anybody. There is no man alive or that has ever lived aside from the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the Son of God, who you should trust absolutely everything they say. Not even Paul. Not every one of Paul's letters is in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that? He evidently had a letter that he wrote to the church at Laodicea. Colossians talks about it here. We'll get to it. And that is not included in the Bible because it was not inspired by God and it was not preserved by God as part of the scriptures. So you've got to check your, the word of God, the Bible, against the Bible and check anything that any preacher says against the word of God. Now we looked in Genesis chapter 1 where God made man. We looked at Genesis 2 where God commanded man and God made man a woman. And we looked at Genesis 3 where man disobeyed, where the woman was deceived by the serpent. She gave to her husband with her, and he did eat. The woman was deceived. The man rebelled. Now, we talked about how Adam died that day, how that God made us in his image and in his likeness. He made us with a spirit, a soul, and a body. And the day that Adam ate thereof, he died. Now, I always struggled with that. It sounded like such a cop-out to me, and a lot of times it was the way preachers would explain well, Adam died spiritually that day, and that would mean that when he died, he would go to hell. And that really leaves something lacking, and it's, and it's unbiblical in what is lacking. It's true in a basic sense, but it really is, they just left it hanging the way I heard it. Maybe they didn't leave it hanging. Maybe it was just me. Maybe it was my understanding that where it was hanging and hanging up. But the reality is that that day, Adam's spirit actually died. His spirit was the part of him that was most like God. His spirit was the part that could commune with God and speak to God. His spirit was the part that had the ability to have full dominion over the earth, not just bodily dominion, but spiritual dominion also over the earth. And his spirit died that day. God made man to be spirit, soul, and body, as the scripture says, and as the epistles say that I pray God sanctify you spirit soul and body and yet when Adam sinned the day that he ate of the fruit he died now when his when his spirit died his soul his mind his will and his emotions that make up his soul lost the guidance of his spirit 
and the ability to receive God's will through the spirit. And so his soul no longer had the spirit to take the reins. So Satan took the reins. Satan took over. Read your Bible and see what happened there. Adam was now a dead man walking. Just a matter of time before his body would perish and his eternal soul would be cast into fire. Go to Ephesians quickly. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The Bible teaches clearly and dogmatically that apart from Christ, man is not only morally depraved in his nature, that his nature has no ability to please God in and of itself, that he's bent to sinning, but not only that, that men in their depraved state are being controlled and led by the spirits of hell. They're being led by the spirits that will be damned to hell, the angels that rebelled against God and were cast out of heaven. It says in verse 3, Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So here God paints this picture of how he sees man. Now if we talk to man about man, man will always exalt man. Man has a way of thinking more highly of himself than he ought to think. And man has exalted his soul and all the expressions of his soul to be godlike. And man has exalted the body. And they exalt all of the beauties of the body and the abilities of the body to be godlike. And they tend to worship themselves and their soulish mental abilities. They worship the will. They worship the emotions, their feelings. They worship their bodies, they worship the physical beauty of the body, they worship the physical ability of the body, and that's why this nation, America, has been given completely over to the lust of the flesh. We have worshipped the physical ability of the body in sports and the physical beauty of the body in pornography and everything else, and we have exalted these other aspects and have forgotten that God is a spirit, as he says, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit, and in truth, now Adam, this dead man walking, and Eve, a dead woman walking, which God had called man in a collective sense, Adam and Eve had gained knowledge of good and evil at the expense of spiritual life. And now the devil was at work inflaming their flesh. And they would, from that time, they would see that man's mind, will, and emotions cannot either in part or collectively even in a unified front, cannot produce righteousness. And they were fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And look what your Bible says in Ephesians 2, 3, and of the mind. Now, the mind is the chief expressor of the soul. The mind is the gateway of the soul. The will resides deep in the heart of man, and the emotions reside deep in the heart of man. But the mind is that which communicates the emotions and the drives and the desires and the will of the 
the man with the rest of the world. The mind is what connects the will of man to his body. Without the mind, a man may have an iron will. He may have a strong will, but be paralyzed and laying in a hospital bed, unable to move and unable to exercise his will to stand, his will to walk, his will to move, his will to feed himself, his will to go out and get a job and earn some money and better himself in life can be completely subdued if his mind loses connection with the body or if his will loses connection with the mind. In the case of someone whose mind has been obliterated in a traffic accident or something of that nature and their mind is no longer able to connect the body to the will or to the emotions. So that person sits there and people speak of them being in a vegetative state. Still a person, but not able to connect their will and their emotions to the body. All of these parts now, without the Spirit of God directing them, were being directed by Satan himself and by devils and inflamed. Now Satan hates God and he hates everything about God, so he hates you and I because we are made in the image of God. Satan wanted to be like God. He said, I will be like the Most High. I will exalt myself. And he tried to do it and God cast him down. Well, in the meantime, God created man in his own image. But God, the Bible says in Hebrews, made man a little lower than the angels. So think about the consternation and the rage of Satan who has been cast out of heaven whenever he witnessed God had made this man in his own image. And this man now had a relationship with God that far exceeded and surpassed the relationship that Satan had once had with God. Satan is full of envy. He's full of jealousy. He hates you. He wants to debase you. He wants to make you crawl in the mud. He wants to rub your face in everything ungodlike. He wants to rub your face in every abomination and filthy thing that he can. And he wants to make you do it and think you like it because he hates you and he wants to debase you. He wants to put graffiti all over your body. He wants to pierce your body all up with piercings and get you to stay rings in your nose and all kinds of things he wants you to dye your hair weird colors and spike it this way and that way he wants you to do all kinds of ugly things and put cuttings all over your body he wants you to shoot up on heroin he wants you to shoot up on crack he wants you to pervert your body he wants you to go after strange flesh he wants you to go after beasts he wants you to commit abominations and he wants you to do it all in the face of God because he hates you and he hates God and he wants to make you look like the most vile fool and vile creature that he can possibly make you to be and his end goal his great goal for you is to make you so filthy and vile that God Almighty will burn your corpse off the face of the earth like he did to Sodom and Gomorrah that's Satan's goal for you that's Satan's plan for you today that's what he's after that's what he's driving at and he's done a pretty good job over the years of making his work happen Now let's look at a couple more Bible verses about this. All of the TV shows and everything going around about um, zombie apocalypse and zombies, um, all these dead men walking type things and stuff like that coming out. All of this gives this concept, this idea where men's souls are disconnected from their bodies, but their bodies just act out in in animal lusts and 
um, do whatever it works for them, and it leads to all kinds of horror and horrible situations and violence and bloodshed, and people just eat it up, pun intended. And I want you to know today, from the Word of God, that when God looks down from heaven and He looks at wicked men, what God sees is a greater disparity whenever he sees man's wickedness in, in the face of his holiness. It's a greater disparity than whenever you see Mother Teresa standing next to the most vile zombie creature ever imagined by man. There's a greater difference between the thrice holy God in heaven and the most holy and good-looking person in their own self-righteousness here on the face of this earth. And this is what your Bible teaches, whether you like it or not. But let me tell you something. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. And the Bible says in Psalm 119, Thy testimonies to God, thy word, thy counsel, thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. And God said in Proverbs, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. The best thing that can happen for you is for you to open your ear to the law of God and get a biblical perspective on your position apart from Christ and get a realistic understanding of your need for a Savior. The best thing that can happen for you today. So I pray that you will. And I ask you, please, let the Bible expose to you God's perspective and then agree with it. By the way, that's what repentance is all about. It's about aligning my perspective with God's perspective. Saying, God, what you say is right is right. What you say is wrong is wrong. And everywhere that you say I'm wrong, I am wrong. <coughs> and then that perspective changing leads to a believing that leads to a God moving and changing your outward. Now you try and define repentance as an outward change and pretty soon you have works salvation. But true repentance brings true works. True repentance happens in the heart of man and it always results in a change in the life of the man, in the physical man. Bear with me today. My throat's a little rough. All right, so here we are. Now we want to look at a couple verses here. <clears throat> Go back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain killed Abel. In Genesis chapter 6, we're going to see God's pronouncement of judgment upon the human race. A bunch of people have been <clears throat> like, like to portray the early family of Adam as cavemen living in caves with little skins wrapped around them. It's a pathetic falsehood. Adam was very wise. He was very strong. He had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but before that he'd walked with God in the Garden of Eden, and it did not take men long to build a super society, a super culture that was global. What everybody's trying to get today, they already had shortly after the fall. A global society. Now, it didn't work for them. Genesis 6, 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
was only evil continually. This leaves no room for some humanistic ideal of a spark of human goodness in every creature. God said, whether you like it or not, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Go to Isaiah 64. Excuse me. Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. These filthy rags here. Give us the picture of something dirty, something unclean, like the rags on a leper. But since we've been talking about this dead man walking, let's just think about the rags on the back of a so-called zombie in today's culture and everything that they've thought of. A filth-covered, boil-covered, maggot-encrusted dead man walking half-rotted flesh, stinking flesh falling off of his body, oozing pus, And he has these rags wrapped around his body. And those rags that he has, those filthy rags that are so defiled and embedded with his wickedness and with his sin. God says your very best righteousness is the good works that you do are as filthy rags. Now I want you to imagine for today, just for a moment without scaring young ones or anything like that, if I can, that a dead man walking in a state of animalistic lust and hunger came to your door and tried to say he was going to rake your leaves to be nice to you, what would you do? Let's say he baked you a birthday cake or he heard you'd been sick, so he came over and tried to do something nice to you just to prove that he wasn't as bad as he smelled. Would you accept his gift? Would you accept his offering? Only the worst of the mockers would say, yes, I would. Only people that are lying through their teeth just to try and make a point would try and say that they would accept anything from that man. God says of us in our sins that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And God paints a picture of man walking after the lust of the flesh that is all his righteousnesses then are as filthy rags. The best things that he can do. Turn to the book of Proverbs quickly. Proverbs chapter 6. An abomination in the Bible is something that is so vile it must be thrust violently away. It would be cast away from you. I think we've described an abomination here. When we talked about a dead man walking, I would call that an abomination. And I believe most people, except the most hardened hecklers, would. Now, in Proverbs chapter 6, he gives us seven abominations. Verse 16, excuse my cough. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. You and I wouldn't count that as so bad, but God says a proud look is an abomination. Just one proud look. He says a lying tongue. Have you ever lied? I have lied, I'll have to admit I'd be lying to say I haven't lied, and anybody that says they didn't is lying when they say it. A proud look, 
a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. This nation is dripping with the innocent blood of the unborn babies and now brand new babies up to 28 days old in Maryland and other places where they're allowed to be put to death for no reason other than that people don't want them. And God says, this is an abomination to me. He says, an heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. You don't even have to do the act of the sin. You just sit around and think about the sin. And God says it's an abomination to me. It says here, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Feet that go quickly after things that are ungodly, things that are sinful. He says a false witness that speaketh lies. A false witness that speaketh lies. He says, and he that showeth discord among brethren, just being a troublemaker. God says it's an abomination to him. Go to Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 7. He says here, for my mouth shall speak truth and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. How about you? You ever told a dirty joke? God says wickedness is an abomination to my lips and it is wisdom that is speaking there. But wisdom is a type of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the fountainhead of all wisdom. And it says here in verse 8, all the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. Did you know that your Bible says that every idle word that men speak, they will give an account of it judgment. And God says here, there is nothing forward or perverse in his lips. And he says that wickedness is an abomination to his lips. Now James says, if any man bridle the tongue, the same is a perfect man. And able also to bridle the whole body. For the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it setteth on fire the course of nature. And it's set on fire of hell. The tongue is a fire, the Bible says. If you tell me you've always controlled your tongue, then you've probably just lied and then you've committed another gross sin and an abomination in the eyes of a holy God. So you think that your good works are going to offset or outweigh your wicked works. We've already read Isaiah 64, 6, that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The fact is that your righteousnesses, your good deeds cannot undo your bad deeds, but your bad deeds can undo your good deeds. A man can go and serve his community for 20 years and be a servant to everyone in that community, and then go and kill someone in that community, and all his good is wiped out. We read that in Ezekiel 18 yesterday. The soul that sinneth, it shall die, said God. Go to Proverbs chapter 16. While you're turning to chapter 16, there's another verse. I did not get the reference down. Look it up for yourself. The prayer of the wicked is an abomination. The prayer... Of the wicked is an abomination. Proverbs 16 and verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Now I know it's popular to say God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And there's a sense that that, that that is true in. But I want to tell you today that God does not separate you from your sin except by Calvary. It is not until you come to the foot of the cross at Calvary with a repentant heart and confess your sin and turn away from your sin, all of your sin, and turn 
turning contrition and humility and brokenness to God for salvation from your sins that God separates your sin and his love for you as a sinner is expressed by the cross at Calvary and unless you come that way God does not love you sinner God's love for you is expressed at Calvary. And when you come that way, God's love for you will save you from an eternal hell. It'll cover a multitude of sins by the blood of Jesus. But unless and until you come by the way of the cross, you and your sin will not be separated. God says here that everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination, not the proud heart here. He says that everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord I'm telling you it says though hand join in hand he shall not be unpunished you can join hands all the way around the circumference of the globe and sing kumbaya and act like everything's gonna be okay when you die and have a bunch of brotherhood and one world and peace and unity and happiness and you can do it all and at the end of your days you're gonna bust hell wide open unless you come by the way of the cross because everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord a thing of filthiness a thing of rejection a thing to be thrust away a thing to be cast out yes God loves sinners but his love for sinners was expressed at the cross of Calvary and unless you come by the way of the cross he will not receive his love and he will not separate you from your sin. Proverbs. Chapter 21. Chapter 21 and verse 4. And high look. And a proud heart. And the plowing. Of the wicked is sin. This verse made me stop. And wonder when I read it. And noticed it for the first time. The plowing of the wicked is sin. That means, Mr. Good Old Boy, worked hard, took care of your family, paid your bills, but you never had time for God. That the good things of working and providing for your family are sin in the eyes of God because of the other sin that is not dealt with in your heart. The plowing of the wicked. Working hard. Providing for your family. But doing it with a proud unrepentant heart. That is not bowed at the foot of the cross. Is sin in the face of God. You say well I haven't sinned that much. I haven't stolen. Have you plowed? Have you gone to work? If you've gone to work and you've worked hard and you've tried to just make a living, but you've done it without bowing the knee to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are living in sin and rebellion and every day that you live treasures up wrath against you, even though you don't think you're doing so much bad and so much wrong. This is just Bible. This is just Bible. I'm not here to make you bad or make you worse than you are. All I'm doing here is telling you what God said in his word and what is already true. Proverbs chapter 24. Go to Proverbs chapter 24. Let's stop at Proverbs 20. Proverbs 29 and 10. Who can say, I have made my heart clean? 
I am pure of my sin. Who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Diverse weights and diverse measures, both of them are alike, are alike abomination to the Lord. This is about cheating, cheating on your taxes, cheating at work, cheating on your time card. He says this stuff is an abomination. This is an abomination. Who can say I've made my heart clean? Let me tell you something here. Diverse weights and diverse measures. You think your good works are going to outweigh your bad works. I want to tell you, you've got diverse weights. You've got a different weight and a different measure than God does. You are measuring your life by a false hope and false weights. And it's all in vain. God says it is an abomination to him. And the fact that you think and that you have an opinion about it. And you've got your own beliefs. And you've got your own ways. And you think you're going to make it. That is even more sin against God because you have diverse weights. You have turned aside from the word of God and turned aside from the truth of Almighty God. Go to Proverbs 24, 9 quickly. Proverbs 24, 9. The thought of foolishness is sin. The thought. Good grief. How can you say you've made your heart clean? How can you say you're pure from your sin? Are you saying you've never had a foolish thought? The thought of foolishness is sin. This nation only deals in foolishness. Every movie that's put out is full of foolishness. Comedians can make a good living speaking foolishness and wickedness and perversion and abomination. And God says the thought of foolishness is sin. Go to Proverbs 27. (coughs) Verse 20. Sorry, let's see here. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. You'll never get enough sin. That's the truth of it. You'll never satisfy your wicked flesh. The dead man walking cannot get enough of sin to ever be full. And death and hell, it says, are never full. There's always room for one more sinner. There's always room. There's a song we sing, there's room at the cross for you, but I'm going to tell you today, there's room in hell for you. Hell hath enlarged itself, the Bible says. There's room in hell for you today. Yes, there's room at the cross, but unless you come God's way, unless you come in repentance and contrition, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Go to Proverbs 15 quickly. Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, verse 8. We've got three verses here that stand out. Incredible verses, incredible statements. Look at this. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. The sacrifice. Well, I gave money at church. I've gone every Sunday. I've been there every time the doors were open. I helped an old lady down the street. I helped somebody get in a house that didn't have a place to live. I've opened my door to the hungry. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. Verse 9, the way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. There's an old song sung by an old sinner who had a voice like almost no other. 
Oh, Frank Sinatra saying, I did it my way. And yes, he did. And look what God says about that way. The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. He's not crooning anymore. By the fruit of his life, he's burning in the devil's hell today. He took thousands and millions of people with him as he sang, I did it my way. And God says the way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. Look at verse 26, the thoughts. Can you stop thinking? The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination unto the Lord, it says. If you are wicked and God says that apart from Christ, you are wicked then your thoughts are an abomination to the Lord. All day long, when you drive down the road to your workplace and you stand there at that drill press or you stand there at that little table or you sit there behind your desk typing on your computer, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none that doeth righteous. No, not one. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Jesus said, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees who made a full-time job out of trying to be righteous every day, 24-7, 365 days out of a year, 80 years or more of their life. And yet Jesus Christ said, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be holier than the holiest people that ever lived to enter into the kingdom of heaven. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But here we are dead, dead in trespasses and sins, and the result, the fruit, proves our dead condition. The works of the flesh are these, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, adultery. Fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And this brings us to the second part of the verse, the quickening, the quickening, the third part actually of the four. We have dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, which we kind of just did all together there. And then we get to the third part, and you hath he quickened, you hath he quickened together with him. The fourth part, having forgiven you all trespasses. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Go to Ezekiel 18 very quickly. We read these verses yesterday. We're just going to look at the last couple verses in that passage. <clears throat> Ezekiel 18, 
In verse 30, he says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent, repent and turn you, your, turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Iniquity means sin in a, in a brief general way. He says, cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. This is God's cry to you. To live ye. You say, oh, a loving God could never send his created beings to hell. But I want to tell you today, he can and he will if you don't repent. But that loving God has made a way for you to live. He's made a way for you to come out of your death. To come out of your trespasses. To repent. To make a new heart. To turn from your evil way. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 quickly, quickly, quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, we've read this, the first few verses, quite a bit. It says here in verse 1, And you hath he quickened, made alive, that means. You hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And we looked yesterday at how this pertains to the saints which are in Christ Jesus, to the faithful which are in Christ Jesus. And he says to them, You hath he quickened. Now my testimony today is that Jesus Christ, by the power of his blood, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, he quickened me. He brought me up from the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock. And he established my going. And he can and he will do that for you. It says, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. In the lusts of our flesh. Fulfilling the nature. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath. Even as others. Verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us. Even while we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Go to Ezekiel 11. Ezekiel 11, quickly. Take me just a second to get there. Ezekiel 11 and verse 19. Here's God's promise. He says, and I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. To quicken biblically means to make alive We say if we cut our fingernails back too far that we cut into the quick because that part of the fingernail is attached to living flesh whereas the end of the fingernail is dead nail. And we say we cut into the quick. 
Well, here we are dead in trespasses and sins, dead men walking far from God, full of sin, full of the works of the flesh, inflamed by the evil spirits of the world, bent on sinning and motivated by devils to sin. And God looked at us in our death. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. This is why in Colossians he says, and you are complete in him. How can a perfect holy God, you say, how can a loving God send something, send his people to hell? But I want to ask you, how can a perfect holy God put something unholy and dead in him who is life and light? He can't and he won't. You see, God can do all things, but God has limited himself to his perfect holy nature, which he will never violate. You say he you say he will. The word of God says he will not. God is not going to overlook your sins and your iniquities. God is not going to pass them by. They must be paid for. And if you think otherwise, you have a false balance. You have diverse weights. You have gone to something other than the word of God. And you have built all of your hopes on a false standard. The word of God says that Jesus Christ on the cross in Matthew 27. Go there quickly. In Matthew 27, Jesus Christ suffering on the cross lifted up his voice and cried aloud. The Bible says with a loud voice to cry out in the Bible means to shout aloud. To weep is what we usually call cry in our culture. To weep is to weep tears. To cry aloud is to shout aloud. Matthew 27 and verse 46. In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I wish I could preach this right. I don't have the strength to preach it like it needs to be preached. God the Father looked down on His Son, Jesus Christ, who was perfect, who had never sinned, who was made in the likeness of men, and humbled Himself, even and became obedient even to death on the cross. And there on the cross, the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us that the righteousness of God might be given to us. And I know I mess it up. Look up those verses. But Jesus Christ there on the cross became sin for us. And God the Father forsook him on the cross. Jesus was not just saying that. God turned His face away from His Son. God the Father would not accept His only begotten Son during those dark hours where Jesus Christ had become sin for us. God allowed His wrath and His judgment to be poured out on His only begotten Son who He had just said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And now He turned His back on His Son. And somehow, you and your pride think that you will be accepted by God in your sin when God Almighty allowed His Son to die and suffer the wrath of His holy righteousness against sin on the cross. And you think He's going to accept you just like you are in your sin. 
You have a false balance. You have diverse weights. They're an abomination to God. Not only are you wrong, but your ideas that you treasure and cherish are not only wrong, but they're going to take you to a hotter place in hell because God has given you the truth. And except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. I wish I could preach it louder. I wish I could cry louder. I wish I could shout it harder. The Bible says, cry aloud. Make my people know their sins. I don't stand here as somebody that has attained some kind of holiness or has ascended to some higher level than other people. I stand here as a dirty, rotten sinner, just like God said, who was dead in his trespasses and sins, but who has been quickened together with Christ by the operation of God, by faith in Jesus Christ. I've been born again by the power of God. Hallelujah to his name, and you can too. You can, you can, you can, you can, every one of you, by faith in Jesus Christ. If you're not already, you can be. The fourth part of this verse, having forgiven you all trespasses, and I'm about out of gas. And you say, hallelujah. I was hoping he'd run out soon. Maybe you do. I hope this is a blessing to you. I don't want to waste your time. Having forgiven you all your trespasses, this deserves a whole sermon on itself. I'm just going to give you a few verses. Lord willing, we'll close it out. Ephesians 2.8. We already read it. Let's look at it. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I want you to go to 1 John 1.6. 1 John one six. Read the context. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There it is. To forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now if God forgave you your sins without cleansing you. It would be unjust. But the blood cleanses. That's why you must come by the way of the cross. That's why you must be born again by the power of God. And until that happens. You can expect nothing but wrath from Almighty God. And He will not, He will not be up there in heaven mourning for all eternity the way you could in the lake of fire if you reject Christ. Your time for mercy is now. Your time for His love is now. He's extending His love to you. He has expressed His love to you. But if you turn away from that love, He will let you go on and get what you rightfully deserve an eternity of suffering in the lake of fire. I deserve it too. But I turned to God through Jesus Christ. And he was faithful and just to forgive me my sins. Now I understand this context in 1 John is also to the believer. But there's an application that can be made to the lost. Colossians chapter 1. 
in verse 14. Colossians 1.14, in whom, speaking of Jesus Christ, let's look at verse 12 quickly, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom, the Son is the in whom, in whom, the, in the Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of, of sins and Lord willing we will look at this in more detail when we look at verse 14 we'll try and tie in forgiveness because I have not the strength or the material prepared to give this what it deserves and Lord willing we'll look at it again maybe Monday how does God forgive me all my sins and how can he do that and still be just may God exalt Christ through his word and in our hearts, listen to me, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not been born again by the power of God, he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, that's not some cheap prayer. That's not some cheap repeat after me prayer that has about turned this nation upside down and filled us with false converts and false professions. You read the context in Romans 10. You go there. I'm not even going to read it right now. We're out of time. Go to Romans 10 and read Romans 10, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Read those verses. Read what it says. Put it in the context of Scripture. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved.